Today's episode pissed a lot of people off. Like most of my Saturday episodes, it was originally part of the Sean Atwood show, which is four hours in total, and you can find the rest of it, long episode, lots of guests on the Sean Atwood True Crime podcast. And I got to interview Andrew Bustamante, the everyday spy. Andrew is an ex-CIA covert intel officer who can't talk too much about his work except to say that he was involved in drug-related, cartel-related stuff in Central America. His website, The Everyday Spy, has a quiz to see if you could be a spy. He talks about that in the episode, but go to everydayspy.com quiz to take it for yourself. The point is that spies aren't what you expect them to be. They're just normal people to an extent. Where this episode pissed off a lot of Sean's subscribers in the comment and chat sections when it was live streamed was Andrew Bustamante's views on Julian Assange and secrets. It was fascinating for me. As you all know, I'm writing a book about the psychology of secrets, so I'm really intrigued by his views. And Andrew's view, typical of a spy, is that the government sometimes has to keep some secrets from us for our own good and that Julian Assange is culpable for having hacked government secrets for WikiLeaks, which Andrew claims has led to problems for spies trying to do their jobs. As Sean's listeners are, to an extent, truth seekers and I think they lean a little to the right, they are very much against government power and shadiness and stuff like that, they were up in arms in the chat, at least a lot of them were. I don't know what I think about it, but Andrew's point is that if we as a society were more concerned about the secrets being kept by government, we'd vote with our feet and make it a point of policy. But we don't. Uh, We don't really talk too much about it. I think the truth is that many of us like to be protected from certain things and believe it necessary for a country's defence. The Assange case is fascinating because the other side is that we need a free press and that Assange has been given a really, really rough deal for exposing secrets that he believes we all have a right to know about. He's been in prison in the UK after hiding in the Ecuadorian embassy in London for years. It's not much of a life and is now being extradited to the US where he'll have a terrible time in prison there. People are worried for his well-being, his health and his life uh, once transferred to the United States. Many people consider his treatment as the US government's attempt to stifle free speech But the government, much like Andrew Bustamante, would say that they need to deter others from revealing such secrets that could compromise the security of a country. So it is certainly complex, and I really don't know how to feel about it. For the full show with Sean Atwood and me as co-hosts and several other guests, check out the Sean Atwood True Crime Podcast or his YouTube channel, Sean Atwood. He's a top, top guy. Uh, It's a pleasure getting to co-host with him. But for now, you're on the edge of free speech and secrets hacking with the everyday spy, Andrew Bustamante. How are you doing, Andrew? Hey, I'm good, Andrew. How are you? I am well, thank you. What a great name that you have. The first. <laughs> I was going to say it's going to get old, man, if we keep uh, if we keep volleying the first name back and forth. Which of us gets to go by hey. the middle name now? Well, the problem is a certain prince has got our name, and I think it's lost a lot of value now, hasn't it? Well, I'm from the United States, so princes in general don't carry much value for us. No, but even less than normal. Plus, Americans love the royal family. Come on. 
That's true. There's uh, Americans have this weird obsession with celebrity gossip. So you guys in the UK just make that too easy for us. That's not just you guys. I think that's the whole world, isn't it? Like, <laughs> like a bit of gossip. Tell me a little bit before we go into, we're going to go into Assange and all that stuff. Tell me a little bit about your background, about you. Where are you? Where are you talking to us from today? Yeah, I'm actually in Florida. I'm based out of Florida. I moved from city to city. Um, I am a former covert CIA intelligence officer. I'm the founder of the first ever spy digital training platform. It's called everydayspy.com. And from that platform, we get to serve everyday people uh, and teach them spy skills that they can use for an edge in everyday life. But we also serve uh, governments and corporations. So that keeps us on the move pretty often. Okay, I want to know more about this because obviously I get information about everyone. It's a lot of the questions I've got to ask you about Assange. I want to know a little bit more about Everyday Spy because that sounds really, really fascinating. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, it's the whole company is based on the fact that when my wife and I are both former covert CIA officers and before CIA found us, we were just everyday people. My wife went to a state school. She was working in a nonprofit. I was in the military. I was, I was a lackluster military officer. As you can see, I didn't really maintain any of that uh, military discipline when I left. <laughs> Don't look it, do you? It's the hair, isn't it? That's what it, and the if beard you were like shaved and, yeah. head, yeah. If you were shaved, I'd be like, but that's what you should look like as a spy, right? You should look like you don't look like you're the spy. Exactly right. You, As a spy, in real life, spies don't look like James Bond because James Bond is a heartthrob. If you sent a, a spy heartthrob out into the world, mm-hmm. he'd get shot or captured, right? Yeah. If if uh, Sidney Briscoe went out there, yeah, that's why you're not a spy. <laughs> 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 if looks could get you killed. <laughs> Yeah. No, but yeah, continue. Yeah. Oh God, I got to know all about this stuff. So that's amazing. So everyday spy. What? What? So what does someone come on your website? They're going to everyday spy. What? They live like a spy. So what is it? It's like a course, and they go on it, and you just teach us how to how to spy. So essentially, uh, the premise here is that CIA doesn't look for superhumans and then turn them into spies. CIA looks for everyday people who have a specific superpower that they need at the time. And then they just teach them spy skills on top of that. So, for example, for everybody listening, I actually have a quiz that I've got launched, like teed up, and I haven't launched it publicly yet. But you guys can all get kind of a teaser if you want to do it. If you go to everydayspy.com forward slash quiz, everydayspy.com forward slash quiz, you're going to get invited into this kind of you know beta testing quiz that I created that's designed to show you your own spy superpower. So if MI6 or CIA or Mossad tapped you on the shoulder tomorrow, this, your spy superpower would be the thing they're looking for. And then oh. once they let you in, they would teach you everything else that you need to know. All the shooting, all the driving, all the fast, you know, the, the boat racing and the horse riding and the archery, all that stuff comes after they bring you in because of your own natural talent. That's what Everyday Spy is about. It's about it's about showing people what their spy superpower is and then helping them use that to get an unfair advantage in business, in relationships, in life. It's a ton of fun, dude, because I get to be a spy every day, only now I'm, my life's not at risk. So it's a good deal. Ah, that's so cool. What was the, What's the coolest stuff you did as a spy? What kind of stuff were you doing? Uh, the coolest stuff is stuff I can't really talk about. It's all still wow. kept confidential and classified, right? But uh, but I was ambiguously brown, which meant I could look Pakistani on Monday, and I could look Jordanian on Tuesday, and I could look Honduran on Wednesday. So I ended up being kind of 
um, I, I ended up being the guy that got to go to all the shitholes of the world because because brown people blend in in all the places where there is no money, where there is no fame and there is no infrastructure. So that was where I spent most of my time doing America's dirty work in very dirty places. Ah, it's, it's an advantage being a minority. You see, no, I'm just kidding. But uh, the Bustamante, you must. So is that a bit of Spanish? Un poco de español. Como es tu español? Sí, 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 un poco, un poco. So the, my Bustamante comes from Venezuela. Yeah. Uh, even though Bustamante is very popular in Italy, it's very popular in Latin America, but it's also super popular in the Philippines. If anybody out there is Filipino, they know uh, you've got a huge contingent of, of Latino names in the Philippines. That's interesting. Yeah, well, they, they, there's a whole Spanish history there, I think, wasn't there? Oh, yeah. wow, so you had all this stuff, you were going around the world, and, and just as an everyday person, I guess, were you scared doing all this stuff? Well, one of the first things that CIA teaches you how to do, and similarly, one of the first things that I teach you how to do when you go through everyday spy training uh, is how to understand fear, right? So let me just give you a real quick breakdown, Andrew. Fear is actually not a present state emotion. You can't ever be afraid of the current moment. In the current moment, you're always reacting. So fear is actually a future tense state. You're always afraid of what could happen or what might happen. You're never afraid in the moment. So if you've ever had like a dog snarl at you, you're afraid of the dog. Like it, maybe it's gonna bite you. But once a dog actually bites you, your cognitive brain focuses on getting that dog off of you. You're not afraid anymore. Now you're in reaction mode. So CIA gives us a much more comprehensive tool set to break down how that works so that we can essentially stave off, push off fear further and further so that we can we can operate in a in like a time bubble that's free of, uh, of emotion and stress induced by fear. Wow, so let's say you're off in Honduras or whatever, uh, and I guess you're, I, I, you know what, I don't even want to stereotype what it might be in those countries because it's not fair on the people from those countries, but you're doing something scary and you're standing there and you're getting all jittery and your legs are turning to jelly, but you're saying fear is just an abstract notion about the future <laughs> and I'm fine. And it was all right. <laughs> I mean, that's what a self-help book would tell you, right? Instead, <laughs> instead what we're doing is, you know, we're, we're facing down across this, across a street, right? Or on the same mm -hmm. side of a village from human traffickers or drug traffickers, cartels love to work in Honduras. Uh, sure. And they've got all these weapons trained on you and you're sitting there with your little team of four or five, you're outnumbered five to one, this would be where most people would start getting jittery and shaky and legs turned to jelly. What we're trained to do is focus instead on not abstracts, but on actual hard facts. So for example, I know that on the range, I've trained putting thousands of rounds on a small three inch target. The cartel uh, thugs on the other side of me, they've probably never shot a thousand rounds in their entire existence, let alone trained it on a three inch target with high accuracy. I know I'm coming into this gunfight well rested, high with good calories, with you know six guys that I've trained with for the last six months. They're coming into this gunfight probably a little bit hungover. They probably had four prostitutes with them last night. They didn't get a good night's rest. So all of a sudden you can see how the the true empirical evidence shows who's got the, the higher probability of success. Yes, they may have more people, but more people doesn't always mean greater success. Uh, better training, better experience, better fear management, or what we call risk tolerance. All of those things are really what make the difference uh, in, in true life or death situations.
I was once face to face with an exorcist that I thought was going to kill me because he locked me in a room with him and his cronies in Argentina. And I just remember thinking, God, I don't, I know I shouldn't be scared because they probably won't kill me, but they might because it was out in the middle of nowhere, Buenos Aires, and legs just jelly. And I thought, this is evolutionarily unhelpful because of flight or flight, your fight or flight, and it was just freeze. And because I couldn't run on those legs, but I guess, and, and I'm an everyday person, but maybe that means I couldn't be a spy. No, so what you actually were experiencing was something different. So, so fight or flight is the initial instinct that happens whenever a threat is posed. So bef long before you were put into a room and they closed the door, your fight or flight instinct set in. Long before that, what ended up happening was after they moved you into the room, then they took physical control of your environment. Once you have physical control of your environment, your, your mind actually goes into an automatic compliance mode. And that compliance is, is evolutionarily helpful. And that's why your legs turn to jelly and your arms get weak and you just start getting kind of faint. Your brain is actually starting to conserve resources so that you can plan an eventual escape. So consider it like, think about cavemen. If a saber-toothed tiger reached out and captured a caveman, and grabbed him by the leg and dragged him into his cave, how is that caveman going to survive? Is he gonna survive by immediately like trying to run out of the cave? No, the saber-toothed tiger is gonna bite his other leg, drag his ass back in again, right? It's gonna claw on him a little bit. You see it all the time uh, with people in the wilderness, they'll get mauled by a bear. When they're being mauled, their body shuts down because the body knows you gotta go into compliance mode so that the predator doesn't see you as a threat. Once the predator mm -hmm. sees you as willing compliant prey then it ignores you it sets you aside to to munch on later it's got other things it has to worry about usually in, when a when a predator takes down prey there are other predators and scavengers who come to try to attack that prey so the the predator has other things distracting it so your body put you in compliance mode so that you could come up with a better plan to escape my plan was just going i'm sorry i didn't mean to offend you i wasn't saying the wrong thing i didn't really i wasn't saying that you were having an affair with that woman that you exercised and the spirit of christ compels me the spirit of christ compels me <laughs> <laughs> he was a real piece of work that guy i was reading today about bears because uh because i was investigating for another story uh, a libertarian village in new hampshire where they all like said no more taxes and no more like outside interference but then the bears got too friendly and then everyone was feeding the bears and then they didn't have any like money from taxes to get some sort of bear control and it was like eating all their kittens and and attacking them in their homes and stuff and then i read that um what is it most bears you can do what you said which is just like stay still but a yep. black bear i think it was or it or maybe it was the grizzly, or maybe something like that, then you're not... It's quite important to know which one, actually, because if it's one of them, stay still and pretend you're dead, and if it's the other one, like, be big or run away. Yeah, well, and that's the fight or flight, right? It's, it's Consider every attack in two stages. There's When the threat presents itself, you've got the first level of response, and then when the threat overruns you, you have a different response. So in every bear instance, once that bear has sunk its teeth into your shoulder or your thigh and it starts dragging you home, you go compliant, whether it's a black bear or brown bear or a polar bear, you go compliant. But when you're face to face with a black bear, you make a big scene, right? When you're face to face with a brown bear or a grizzly bear, you you back away and you you give it its territory. A few decades ago, private citizens used to be largely that, private. What's changed? 
the internet. Think about everything you've browsed, searched for, watched or tweeted. Now imagine all of that data being crawled through, collected and aggregated by third parties into a permanent public record. Your record. Having your private life exposed for others to see was once something only celebrities worried about, but in an era where everyone is online, everyone is a public figure. To keep my data private when I go online, I turn to ExpressVPN. Did you know there are hundreds of data brokers out there whose sole business is to buy and sell your data? The worst part is they don't have to tell you who they're selling it to or get your consent. One of these data points is your IP address. Data harvesters use your IP to uniquely identify you and your location. But with ExpressVPN, my connection gets rerouted through an encrypted server and my IP address is masked. Every time I turn ExpressVPN on, I'm given a random IP address shared by other ExpressVPN customers. That makes it more difficult for third parties to identify me and harvest my data. And the best part is how easy ExpressVPN is to use. No matter what device you're on, phone, laptop or smart TV, all you have to do is tap one button to get protected. So if, like me, you believe that your data is your business, secure yourself with the number one rated VPN on the market. Visit expressvpn.com heretics and get three extra months for free. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash heretics. Go to expressvpn.com slash heretics to learn more. Hey, it's Andrew. If you're enjoying Heretics, there's another podcast I want to recommend to you, especially if climate change, global conflicts and an upcoming election are making you feel like we're on the brink of disaster. What Could Go Right is hosted by Progress Network founder Zachary Carabell and executive director Emma Varvalukas. On What Could Go Right, the hosts sit down with expert guests to discuss the world's most pressing issues without resorting to pessimism or despair that we hear so often. Instead, they look back at how far society has come and look forward at what it will take to achieve an even brighter future. Is progress on the way? They may not have all the answers, but on What Could Go Right, they're asking the key questions. Tune in to hear interviews with upcoming guests like writer Coleman Hughes, CNN host Fareed Zakaria, and economist Alison Schrager. If you're looking for a weekly dose of optimistic ideas from smart people, join them every Wednesday on What Could Go Right, available wherever you get your podcasts. That's a really interesting point because obviously there was that tragic Buffalo shooting the other day and I ended up seeing footage of it, which I shouldn't have seen, but someone sent me. Isn't that a shame, like, man? That's a shame. It was the most horrible thing. I And and I try not to watch those things, but the person who sent it to me didn't say what it was and I started clicking it and before I knew I'd seen it and it stays in my head. It was the most horrible thing. But the people who were being a gun aimed at them didn't do like in the movies with the screaming and running. They, they completely stayed still and yep. was, that was it and they were gone. I couldn't believe yeah. it. It was the saddest thing to watch. Yeah, so we teach, uh, one of the things that I teach and one of the things that CIA teaches us is the five different levels of situational awareness. And everybody knows of situational awareness. That's like a common term. Most people only know it as law enforcement teaches it. Police teach three layer, three layers of, of uh, situational awareness. Spies and inter- intelligence professionals, we learn five levels. But the, and I'm not gonna bore you with all five levels. What you saw in that shooting was people getting trapped in what's known as the red level. We call it red, you're dead. Red is deer in the headlights. Red is frozen, fight or flight, right? Right. You have fight or flight that happens first, and then you find yourself not in control of your environment. Once you are out of control of your environment, human compliance takes over. 
your instinctive compliance takes over. That's why you see deers jump in the road and just freeze. They're going compliant. Whatever that thing is, it's in my place. It's in my space. I can't get away. So I'm just going to do whatever it tells me to do. Um, and it's a total shame, man. Mass shooters, they, they thrive on the fact that when they make an attack, people panic. And that panic either turns into a run instinct where they run away or a freeze instinct where they hold still. Um, and that's just, it is a terrible thing. But I will also say, Andrew, that for anybody who had to watch or anybody who got a few minutes of that, of that live stream from the shooting in Buffalo, the most interesting part to watch is actually the first few minutes, the first two to four minutes. Because before he goes into the grocery store and starts shooting people, he's, he's driving around with you in his car, right? He's talking to you, he's pumping himself up, he's psyching himself up before he goes in to shoot anyone. That is so powerfully important to understand because you see how untrained shooters, how untrained threats behave. He's shaky, he's jittery, he's very clearly like suffering from tunnel vision because he can't, he's, he's like pulling into and out of different parking spots in the, in the parking lot. This is all very telltale behavior. This is what Secret Service specializes in, seeing this telltale behavior before someone starts shooting. Um, and it's really powerful to understand that you actually have an advantage over those human threats when you know how to pick up those telltale behaviors. Man, that is fascinating. Well, I just, you know, if people do end up watching it, that, yeah, probably stick with just that bit. And that does sound really, really interesting. Um, I want to move on to a totally different subject, just about Julian Assange uh, and your thoughts uh, on Sean's channel. We've had a lot of people on to talk about Julian, and often it's a very, very pro-Julian side, uh, but obviously it's an incredibly complex uh, thing. And obviously I want to ask from your point of view, having you know worked in, in, in these kinds of operations, you know, what is your view on this? Yeah, so Julian Assange, I mean, he's a maverick, right? There was nobody like Julian Assange before he existed. He was the first. History doesn't usually smile kindly on people who are the first. Look at what they did to Napoleon, right? Look at what they did to, uh, to Hitler. Look at what they've done to all sorts of bad guys who did all sorts of like really intelligent things that the rest of us have copied. Who doesn't want to be as charismatic as Hitler? Everybody wants to learn. There are business schools who try to teach you how to be as influential and charismatic as Hitler was, right? And that all these bad guys in history, they get a bad rap. And even the mavericks in industry, when was the last time you heard somebody say something good about Rockefeller? When was the last time you heard someone say something good about Kennedy? People don't say good things about mavericks. Julian Assange was the first one that found a way to marry secrets in the digital public domain. And he put those two things together. Now, as a result, everybody's trying to scramble for what did he do right and what did he do wrong and what rights are he in? Is, is it human rights that he's entitled to? Is it human rights that he violated? Um, does he fall under jurisdiction of any given country? And then it's it's a big mess, man. Um, and that's just the nature of, of his specific case because he was on the leading edge of this. He did, in fact, give secrets that impacted national security away to hostile threats. For sure he did that. And he did it in the best interest of transparency and open information, but that doesn't negate the fact that he did something that is illegal to some country in the world. If you or I do something that's illegal, we run the risk of being extradited to that country. It's just, the, it is the way that the globalized world works. It's just unfortunate mm -hmm. that the globalized world came after 
the Maverick had learned how to do what he does best, you know? Just, I mean, the Hitler thing's different because he killed lots of people, didn't he? In terms of morality, just, just, you know, you're not equating them morally, are you? Just to well, it's yeah. I'm not. I'm not equating them in terms of headcount, um, but for sure, Julian Assange's uh, the fact that he's given secrets away to on a national platform. There have been people who have been killed because of Assange, for sure. Russia kills people in in secret all the time. China kills people in secret constantly, right? There's the developing countries of the world. Your Egypt's, your uh, your Saudi Arabia's, your Iran's, your even all of your stands, Uzbekistan and Turkestan, like these countries all. They, they sweep up a mess very quietly. It's not like the UK and the US where everything we do has to be, you know, is it runs the risk of being put on the open press. So when Assange, you know, spills a secret about a secret UK or a secret US operation that's happening in Honduras, right? People get killed. We just don't know who those people are. So yes, it's not on the scale of someone like Hitler. Hitler was a maverick in his own way. But yeah. what my point is just, Julian Assange did something nobody else had ever done before. And now we don't we have to find a way to categorize that and, and file that mm. in our human existence. We've got people commenting saying things like false CIA propaganda and stuff like that. But I think Andrew makes a, a really good point. I mean, look, firstly, we do we've had a lot of people on about Assange to say the sort of the opposite things. You, you know, we have to hear both sides. We have to hear different views. And the other thing is that um, you know, you talk about Honduras, of of course, you know, I mean that could have been you. So that's obviously, you know. That we've got to remember there are humans, there are people at stake. And even if you do still think, okay, well, we still need that press freedom and all that kind of thing, you know, you wouldn't like it if it was your daughter or your son who gets killed because of this kind of thing. Now, what a lot of people say when I say this usually is, well, there's no evidence that anyone has been hurt from what Assange did. Uh, is that true that there's no evidence anyone's been harmed? And is that not the point anyway? Yeah, I would say that it's kind of not the point, but I would also say that any evidence that's out there is not in the public domain. Here's here's something that I'm sure is going to piss off your audience, Andrew, and that's okay because they're your audience, not mine. If they don't like Sean's, me, they can Sean's, piss off. Sean's audience. Sean's, Sean's audience. audience. Sean's yeah, audience. I got I got to toe the I got to toe the line. I toe the line a little bit, <laughs> make sure they stay happy with me. No, they're the vast vast majority are extremely lovely people, and but they got their views. You know, it's yeah, yeah. plurality of opinion. Yeah, absolutely. So, and, and people can love Sean and I want them to keep following Sean. Sean's a great dude, right? Yeah. I am not Sean. I come from a world where I have seen the importance of keeping secrets away from everyday people. Like here's, here's the funny thing about secrets. Do you feel like you should be entitled to keep your own secrets, Andrew? I'm writing a book about secrets, the psychology of secrets. This is great. Do I feel that I should be entitled to keep my own secrets? Yes. So then why do you expect, but you also feel entitled that other people should not keep secrets from you? The government. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the people I'm giving my taxes to. Give me, just give me your secrets. So what's interesting is those are also the people that you're entrusting with your protection, right? Here, let me, let me if, you'll, ah. if you'll bear with me for just a second, right? Hopefully oh, this works. Good. Yeah, hopefully this works on screen. I don't know. This is, okay, this is a triangle. We it's love tri because some 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 people get it on audio, so just make sure you're saying just they only hear the audio version. Just make sure you're describing everything. Yeah, 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 absolutely. It. CIA loves triangles because triangles are like the one of the most stable you know shapes in all of history. This is actually the triangle that represents social order. In the bottom third of the triangle, that's what happened before people organized themselves into tribes. 
right? It was me and I lived in a tent that I built and you lived in a tent where you lived. And if I caught a deer, I didn't share my deer with you. And if you, if you gathered berries, you didn't share your berries with me, right? That's all of this bottom part of the triangle. What ended up happening is that people got smart and I realized I'm pretty good at hunting deer. And you realize that you're really good at finding all the best, you know, plants and all the safest medicines out there. And I was like, hey, I'll trade you some deer if you'll give me some medicine. That moved us into the second phase of the triangle. It moved us into the middle of the triangle. This is where we had tribal behavior. Tribal behavior means that I gave up some of my resources to get some of your resources, but you and I were both producing resources. The third step in this evolutionary existence for society is the top of the triangle. Now it's at the top of the triangle where we start having people who bring nothing, they bring no tangible resource to the table, but we give them the power to govern us. We give them the power to govern our resources so that then we get the efficiency of one person or one small organization doling out all the resources. Because when we lived in the tribal days, there was no police. When we were living in tribes, there was no infrastructure to support internet or fresh water or power. It was only when we organized into societies, the top center, the top of that triangle, that we said, hey, we'll start putting our money and we'll put our resources into the government in exchange for power and water and emergency services and police and public hospitals. What nobody wants to what nobody understands is that as you go up in that triangle from the bottom to tribalism and from tribalism into what's known as the statehood, while you go up you're exchanging personal freedom in exchange for civic benefit. If you don't like to trade your personal freedom in exchange for civic benefit, you can go back down the triangle. You can go live in Africa and hunt for your own wildebeest and find your own clean water and nobody's yeah. going to tell you what to do. But if you, you want to live off... So, yeah. But if Bears. you want... Yeah, you got bears, you got snakes you got to worry about. But if you want all of the benefits of society you have to give up some of your personal freedoms. And one of the big freedoms you're gonna give up is access to secrets because your government's gonna do what they think is in your best interest because that's what you've given them the power to do. Make decisions without asking you. Mm. And so you're, that's a really fascinating explanation, uh, but it, it feels you're not, you're not moralizing, you're not, you're not giving a moral on it, it's just this is what it is. Is this a good thing? Is it a bad thing? It's just a thing. It's just a thing. This is it's like engineering. It's like science. Right. There's a reason it's called social science. Right. The social sciences exist. Social studies exist because there is a structure to it. Um, all societies are is a macro level view of how a single human organism lives. Right. We have immune systems and we have cardiovascular systems and nervous systems and we prioritize some parts of our, of our existence over other parts. Some people give up exercise, but they'll never give up coffee, right? It's the same way with our government. Our government is just a manifestation of the society that it represents. So if we have a, a society that chooses to, to fight back and want secrets to be exposed, it's on us to use our civic power to replace the existing government with a government that represents us. But if you don't... Mm if you don't participate in that process, then you're going to get stuck with whatever government is reflective of the people who are participating. 
that's so that's the point then isn't it because i think a lot of people um are putting in the in the in the chat you know is andrew being hypnotized by this or whatever uh but i think look if you care that much about the government keeping secrets from you then you've just got to vote with your feet and i guess i guess that would that would imply that the majority are quite happy with it if it's what's good for them you just nailed it, right? And that's what all the little, all the people who are trying to snipe me in comments and all the people who talk shit about me, you know, in every interview I do, the truth is they're a bunch of cowards because if they weren't <laughs> cowards, they would vote with their feet. If you don't like being a United States, if you think the US is out of control, if you think if you're an American citizen and you think your rights are being violated, get out. You have a passport that will let you go to any country in the world and most countries of the world, as proven by many of our, of our defectors from the United States, will gladly welcome an American citizen to become a new resident of whatever, whether that's the Bahamas or Angola, it doesn't really matter. But if you wanna sit on your couch and bitch about secrets that are being kept from you, then all that makes you is a little whiny bitch. It doesn't mean that you're doing anything to change anything. So it, it's, it's heartbreaking, but the truth is that the world is driven by the top 2% of people who take action. Not the top two percent of people who make money, just the top two percent of people who take action. No, that is that is the thing, and I think sometimes people find it very hard when they're watching. When there's a lot of people watching as well, because of course, you know, you're just the people who are having a go at you. It's a, it's a small percentage of the huge amount who are just sort of watching and and I guess I guess complying, complying and going. Well, I suppose <laughs> I don't mind the secrets and stuff like that. I think that um, it's hard for them sometimes to understand that you. I don't think you've really given a moral view. You've not said, oh, and thank God they are keeping the secret. You know, it's just like, hey, that's what the thing is. It is that thing. Right. You can leave. This is how the third part of the triangle is. We, we've got uh, um, only like a minute or two. We've already told people about everydayspy.com slash quiz. Can they follow you on Twitter or somewhere? Is there somewhere else you'd like them to go? Yeah, absolutely. You can follow me anywhere. If you look up at Everyday Spy, that's my handle. So feel free to blow up my handle and, and hate on me there. Or uh, I've also got a very popular iTunes podcast. I've got a top 100 podcast called the Everyday Espionage Podcast. Uh, and you can find me there. You can listen to me there and you can leave me a zero star review if you want to blow me up there. But otherwise, you'll see that there's quite a few people out there who, <laughs> who understand the value of seeing things for what they really are instead of seeing things for how they feel they should be. Fascinating. Thank you so much, my fellow Andrew. Have a lovely day. And uh, yeah, thanks for coming on. My pleasure, man. Take care, Andrew. What a fascinating man. Thank you, Andrew Bustamante, for coming on the Sean Atwood channel. Remember, you can get the full hour, sorry, full four hour. I mean, one hour would be enough, but you're getting four hours. Long episodes on the Sean Atwood True Crime podcast, which Sean and I co-host on Wednesday nights taking it in turns to interview a range of fascinating guests live interacting with the subscribers and viewers and stuff and then that comes out usually the next day on sean's uh, audio podcast and then i get to put up an episode or one of the interviews on the on the edge with andrew gold podcast on saturdays where do you guys stand on secrets and the hacking thereof was andrew's acceptance that the government should keep secrets from us a chilling indictment of uh, the state of free speech and the lack thereof i'm using thereof a lot what a great word uh, or does Assange deserve to be punished 
to deter others from revealing government secrets that could compromise the security of us, as well as spies and different kinds of military operations around the world. Let me know your thoughts on Twitter or Instagram. Maybe you don't know, maybe you're ambivalent, maybe you have a very strong view either side. I think it's okay to not be sure what the right thing is to do with these really morally dubious and uh, complex situations. Uh, but come talk to me, Andrew Gold underscore OK on social media. I'd love to hear your view. Andrew Bustamante is on at Everyday Spy and you can take his quiz about being a spy on everydayspy.com slash quiz. If you enjoy this podcast and want to help take it to the next level, please either sign up on patreon.com slash andrewgold or simply share it with friends and on social media. Tell a few people about it. Uh, perhaps you have a podcast or some sort of platform with lots of listeners yourself and you want me to come on and talk about all this stuff, then you know, get in touch, invite me on uh, and we will take your listeners to the edge or something like that. Speaking of the edge, I think I've got the most controversial guest in terms of what he says ever on Monday. It's Dr. James Cantor, whose beliefs about paedophiles, lesbians, and left-handed people are going to probably get me cancelled. But if you like your podcast controversial and totally mad and on the edge, and if you're a fan of this, you probably, you probably do like your podcast like that, at least come and listen, and I'll see you then. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Grand Canyon University, an affordable private Christian university, is one of the largest and fastest growing universities in the country, offering more than 270 programs online. In addition to federal grants and aid, GCU's online students received nearly $130 million in institutional scholarships in 2022. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private, Christian, affordable. Visit gcu.edu slash myoffer to see the scholarships you may qualify for.